Nicolas Cage is probably one of our generation's definitive actors. And welcome to Cage Fighting. It's your main man, Andy Gillard here. Hope everyone's safe in the world right now. Hi everybody, Matt Guy here. Hope we're all doing well. Well as can be. But well, no, everyone's much better because pubs are actually open now. So hurrah. Hello, Stu here. Gentlemen, how have you been? Have you had a good week? Back to the grind. Back to, off my camping adventure where I feel one with nature. Back to the <laughs> sickening grind of work, sadly. I was camping because it was a bit of a miserable weekend back in uh, in the West Mids. I'm telling you, like when we got there, it was glorious sunshine. It was proper nice sun canopy out from about four in the morning of the Saturday morning, 4 a.m. It was like monsoon weather. And of course, on top <laughs> of like a steel van, it just sounds like 10 times worse. Um, but you know what? It was class to be fair. We still had a great time. Um, nice to just get out. But do you... Um... Don't you like that sound though, where you're where the rain's hitting the roof? It's not soothing to you. Yeah, there is like a white noise element of it, but what there isn't a white noise element is the the canopy outside coming loose because of the high winds <laughs> and the <laughs> flapping around of of fabric isn't quite so soothing. Mm. I imagine it's a nice sound when you're in a nice warm house, cuddled up in bed. But mm. when you're in a van in the middle of a field in buttfuck nowhere, it's a little <laughs> bit off-putting. Well, Hold fortunately, on. it wasn't cold. It was just it was just wet. Mm, yeah, that's that's the, something. It used to be the highlights of um, when we used to go to Wales as kids and um, in real, not well, real, and then uh, Clare Bay, Abbey Swift, and when the rain came at night, I genuinely used to love it. I, I just sit there with the, with the window slightly open and just the, the little. Raindrops on the scene, it was good. But you were like some kind of version of the Wicker Man running around in your pants, just <laughs> running around in the rain. Well, that's I mean, the only time I've ever run any... It wasn't in the rain, though. It was inside. The only time that's ever happened when I've run around somewhere with my pants on. But that was... There were Lucky Wolves pants as well. And remember the ones that the, 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 um, like the comedy wifront things that they, they sold for about six months? No, they, were black. Really, no. they were black, but they had like proper gold boyfriend trim and they had the, the wolf, the wolf head logo in the middle. And um, again, another story, Goldie was there as well. And we, um, it wasn't the time with uh, going 60 seconds. It was another one where we were in the same, same building, but we got locked out and we had to go back down to the, the security desk to get the keys to get back in. So I think we got locked out and I had been almost caught in action, so to speak. So I only had that. I just pulled them up, just went out to get whatever the kerfuffle was outside, locked out. Had to go down to the security desk in the lift with just these pair of comedy walls, wife and son. Got the key and got back in, like, but it, it was uh, all, all that evidence of that night have been erased from history, thankfully. So no photos there. <laughs> <laughs> so we're here to discuss a Nicolas Cage film from. Way back in, I think it was 2011, if I remember correctly, we're here to discuss Drive Angry, filmed in 3D, which is the full title. <laughs> <laughs> like, fucking hell. I know we've all seen this film before, 
before we did it for this podcast. For me, it's been about five years. I think I'd just moved into this house um, when I first saw it. So when did you pair last see it and what were your expectations on revisiting it this time? I think it, was, it must have been close to its release time because it's been a long time since I've seen it. And I expected the worst. <laughs> <laughs> I just remember it. I remember it. Um, I remember not being impressed. I don't think I've ever been impressed by 3D ever. Like no, I completely agree. In a cinema, or I've, I don't have any equipment to watch it at home. And much like it at the time, I was like, "This isn't. This isn't doing it for me." I think the only time I've ever been impressed with 3D was when Chester Bennington in like Saw Seven, I think it was, or something like that. Saw 3D. He, oh well, there you go. Uh, <laughs> he he was in it, and at that point, I thought, "Oh, this looks quite good," and it was just because it was gory, that was about it. I um, I hadn't seen it since I watched it in 3D properly at the time, um, and obviously I do love 3D. So and for that reason, that's why I haven't seen it since, because I remembered watching it in that whole madness of experience at the time, and I couldn't wait to watch it again. <laughs> yeah, much like math, 3D has never been a gimmick that's really grabbed me. To be perfectly honest, my issue with 3D has always been. Apart from Avatar, which I don't remember doing this, but everything else, the gimmick of 3D seems to be, I'll throw something near the screen. Mm. But, like, you wouldn't do that in a normal film, so don't do it in this, because I don't give a shit. Just tell the story and stop being a dick. And that's always the problem with 3D for me, is it's all about the gimmick rather than the film. Well, Stu, have you, uh, presumably, because... You're plugged into all of the software in your house by a TP link, I think. <laughs> so, uh, have you got like the the equipment to watch the, the sport in 3D? Because that was a fad for a while, wasn't it? It was shit though. It didn't work. Um, I watched one game of football in 3D. Um, and it didn't really could because it's where you watch it. Where you watch like the MCU now in 3D. Like I've got all of them there. It's all about. It's more about depth. Mm. depth of field rather than actually things coming out of the screen, which they kind of moved away from kind of after this, after the initial first three or four years of it, where it was, and like my bloody Valentine, which was made by the same people as well, which was mm. really a case of, oh, let's let's poke the audience in the eye with knives and things. With the sport, it worked for golf. Golf was really good. Because, again, you got that depth going down the um, the fairway. Okay, wow. But for football, you couldn't really tell the difference because of the cam. Mm. Remember when they, they had to lower the camera angles because you, you, it made no difference to anyone. <laughs> so you, <laughs> so you like that one at White Hart Lane when the, it was literally like crossbar height on the side of the pitch just to get the depth perception. When you watch it in three D, it didn't work at all. So that's horrible. Yeah, for sport, it was just failure, complete failure. Mm. What was the first 3D films that you both saw? For me, it was, um, mine was Wizard of Oz, the shitty Tim Burton version. I saw it at the showcase in Warsaw. Um, and the only bit of that film I enjoyed was in the trailers that was building up to the film. There was there must have been a trailer for, was it, is this it? The Michael Jackson show that mm. was due out. And he throws a hat at the screen and these people in front of me shit themselves. <laughs> that was the highlight of the night because it was awful. 
I can't remember what my first one was. All I remember, I, I remember this like, it must have been a trailer for the company that did the technology or something. Yeah, some real kid, D. Some kid playing with a ball, something that levitated and he threw it towards a screen and threw it back or something like that. I remember that as, as the first time I thought, oh, this is quite fun. But then, I, then after a while, and once you kind of got used to it, it was like, mm, I've never gone like, whoa. Mm. You know what I mean? Like, so, oh my God, it's going to hit me. I've never done that. No. <laughs> so. but the, the best one for that we've ever seen is Gravity. That's incredible. Okay. Mm. I mean, the thing is with stereoscopy, like this is such an old gimmick. I'm sure the original Wizard of Oz was in 3D way, way back. And it keeps coming back around and no one gives a shit and it goes away for a while. And then it comes back, and I just I don't know why they keep persisting with it personally. I don't think it would have helped at all for this movie. There was nothing in it that was particularly worthy of, of 3D. Uh, so obviously, Stu, you mentioned that this is from the director of My Bloody Valentine. Yeah. I looked at his other movies, and he's got The Prophecy 3, The Ascent, <laughs> Dracula 2000, which I'm sure was starring John Bon Jovi, <laughs> Dracula 2 The Ascension Dracula 3 Legacy White Noise 2 The Light and a film called Trick Like I don't know a lot of these films but the ones I have seen are terrible and the ones which I haven't seen are sequels to terrible movies I, mean, I, was, just, I was just looking up there which was the earliest and it was My Bloody Valentine and Avatar were the same year Okay, but the one before that was Bolt in 2008 and that's what you—that's the one you're talking about, Matt. About the um, the kid playing with the ball. Oh, okay. it, it was for Bolt in 3D. So the only other thing I know about this director, he wrote, or he was one of four writers on Terminator Genesis, which I think has been universally slaughtered. Mm, I if it, did you refuse to watch that one? I haven't seen anything past three. Rise of the Machine, is it? The one with the female T1? Yeah, TX, is it? Yeah, that was yeah. the last one I saw. Yeah, Salvation was wank. Let's just, <laughs> let's just be brutally honest. Um, Genesis, uh, when I watched it, I didn't mind it. I did a few cool things, mm. but the last one was the best of all since the, se- the second, and now it's all over for whatever reason. Right, so IMDb describes this film as a vengeful father escapes from hell and chases after the man who killed his daughter and kidnapped his granddaughter. Tell him I'm coming. You're too late. Hell's going to walk the earth. Hell already is walking the earth. They kidnapped my daughter. I am going to get her back. My whole life has been nothing but waiting, and now it means I'm, I'm with you until the end. He's no saint. Thought you were dead. <laughs> you hoped I was dead. She's no angel. I am going to kill you. Between now and then, I'm going to mess you up. On February 25th, I'm looking for someone angry with attitude. Anyone not trying to kill you? They'll show no mercy. You can't stop me. That baby girl's all I got. What gun is that? Shot in 3D. Drive Angry. Radar. February 25th. The film begins with a voiceover narration by William Fickner. 
about escaping prisons and that no matter how bad a motherfucker you might think you are, all escapees will be accounted for. As the image of an American muscle car escapes from the fiery pits. Cut to daytime. A group of near-do-wells are on the run from a scrawny-looking motherfucker with scraggly hair and a Nick Cage face. The man manages to get his hands on these men. He finds out that, quote-unquote, she is in Stillwater Marsh and they'll kill her. Cage shoots the trail of gasoline left by the crash truck and walks away as the car explodes behind him. Badass. I mean, it's a bit of an exciting beginning, I suppose. Like, there's <laughs> stuff going on, and and Cage looks an absolute fucking state, like straight from the off. We watch early doors. That is a terrible hairdo he's rocking in this movie. I had the same hair at the time, <laughs> the same the same colour as well, and it was. You know, there's pictures of me with um with um, what was he said, Dicky Dicky Bird, outside Barnsley when I when I bleached my hair for the first time. And it was, it ended up being like this. <laughs> I mean, this is the most rat face Nick Cage has ever looked in anything, I think. <laughs> I don't know what it is, but he looks awful. Yeah. And maybe looks it's rough. because he's supposed to be from hell. Yeah, exactly. I, I don't think it is. I think he's just having a tough time of it. Because this is pretty much the beginning of the Baron years, if I remember correctly. Like a lot of straight to DVD Drek follows quite soon after this one. We are now in a diner with Amber Heard telling the waitressing colleague that she has cut her boyfriend off from sex until he marries her. It's been it's been two days, which is a decade in horny fucker years. I did laugh at that line. I don't know why, but it just really tickled me. <laughs> There's a surly looking Nick Cage sat in the corner. Heard's work colleague goes over to him to take his order and tries immediately to fuck him. Cage bats her off, but not before giving her a really gross-looking open mouth kiss. Mm. It wasn't sexy; it was really off-putting. Who was the um, celebrity that did that when they got married again? Was it David Best? No, not David Best. Um, God, there was a celebrity. Was it like Liza Minnelli? Who did she get married to again? David Guest. David Guest. Guest. Yeah. Didn't they have like a really horrible open mouth kiss when they got married? And it was like, it was like full on. As try to open your mouth as wide as physically possible and then latch it onto somebody else. It was pretty much like that. Yeah, but is that not because his head's pulled so far back that he can't control his mouth? <laughs> <laughs> it could be, yeah. It could be the puppeter's strings have tangled together. After being a good Samaritan and giving a poor family some day-old muffins, Hurd tells her boss to shove his job after he tries to assault her. After her car breaks down when she's leaving, she agrees to give Cage a lift in exchange for him fixing it. Well, can we talk about that for one brief moment? Mm -hmm. I work for a motoring breakdown organisation <laughs> and, and we we need patrols like this in the ranks because he literally just goes, oh, fuck is this? He just fucking turns something on. Yeah, we're back on the road, baby. He's just ridiculous. He's ridiculous. He, he walks. He walks out of the bushes and just. Did he mess the car up in the first place? I think that's a I, suggestion, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, I thought that was the thing, but surely it would have broken down. It would never have started, rather than have gone a bit of a distance. That that was. I, I don't know. A bit odd, but yeah, I think that was probably it. Well, let me tell you, 
what looked like to be happening on that vehicle was the expansion <laughs> tank had um, had gone. So he's obviously took the. From what I saw, he took the lid off the expansion tank and just put the fucking lid back on again. That's literally all he did. <laughs> uh, back at the diner, William Fickner appears. He's the accountant. He asks the boss if he's seen someone. <laughs> Maybe 40, 6'1", probably looked out of place. That is the most generous comment I've ever heard anyone say. Maybe 40. He's easily 50 in this movie. Maybe 40, my arse. Herd and Cage get to where they're going. Herd walks in on her fiancé fucking some unknown woman. Herd beats the snot out of this naked woman in the middle of the street with some strange dude taking pictures of her. (laughs) With a flip phone as well. Oh, yeah, that's proper old school. He gets out his, um, oh, fuck, the, the Samsung, wasn't it? The, it, look, yeah. it looked like the, the Panasonic G3 that I had, the, um, the, but it was much later than that. <laughs> but it's proper, like, proper redneck town. We, we even mentioned the setting of it. It's, yeah, it's the most redneck thing you will ever see. Like, it's proper trailer park and, yeah. I genuinely thought it was stone cold. <laughs> Honestly, yeah. The photo, the photo is they go into that scene. Um, it looks the spit of Stone Cold Steve Austin. I was like, oh, I don't remember Stone Cold Steve Austin being in this. <laughs> and then, it, then, then I realised it wasn't. But then, even if you look, um, you Google Todd Farmer and look at his picture that comes up as his like stock picture on Google. It's fucking Stone Cold Steve Austin. <laughs> it's Stone Cold Steve Austin and Gilberg's love child, <laughs> basically. <laughs> <laughs> it really is. Yeah. So Nick Cage oversees her getting beat down by her redneck lover. Cage doesn't stand for any of that shit, and he knocks seven shades of shit out of the guy. So we've had 15 minutes of absolute mayhem here. What are we thinking of this opening? Stu, what did you think? I love this film. <laughs> That's what I was thinking. I, because I've only seen it, I was amazed how much I remembered, considering I've only seen it once, and that was like 10 years ago. And I was probably quite drunk at the time because that was kind of the, the theme of going to the cinema around then, that we get to the pub first and then go in. Um, I don't remember who I watched it with, to be honest. It's a, but it, everything came flooding back. I thought that that scene of um, when she throws her out, well, just drags her off from riding him, <laughs> throws her out the door. I thought I was, I was just giggling to myself the whole way through it. Mm. Matt, what did you think? I thought I thought the first fifteen minutes were wild. I thought it it knows its tone straight away. It knows exactly what it wants to be. It doesn't. So far, it doesn't break the cardinal sin of being stupid and silly. Actually, trying to make a valid point or trying to shoehorn in some form of like. Um, some form of like conscience or morality or anything like that. It just knows exactly what it is and it, and it has it has a blast with it. So I really enjoyed the start. Yeah, I, I echo those sentiments. To be honest, proper B movie. It's exactly what you want. Stupid, brainless. It's called Drive Angry, and that's sort of what you get, and that's great. Uh, we get a flashback to some preacher cult dude killing a man, a woman, and taking their child. We assume this is the child that Cage has been talking about since the start of the film, but it's not explicitly said. Cage and Hurd arrive at a dive bar after leaving the trailer park. Another waitress immediately wants to fuck Nick Cage. Like, 
if there are any waitress, waiters or waitresses out there who are listening to this, is Nick Cage sexy in this film? Because I just don't <laughs> see it. <laughs> but you have, got to, you have got to think where they are, though, as well. Like I said, it's redneck country. He does stand out as not being a bit weird or looking like Stone Cold. So oh, has all of his teeth. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but even like the waiter who um, Amber Heard like goes to fuck, he's like, he's a chubby little dude. Like, don't get me wrong. I'm a chubby little dude as well. There's nothing <laughs> wrong with that. But he just looked so odd to see Amber Heard like lusting after this guy. And it's like, it was just completely incompatible. I mean, we, we'd be treated like Ocean's Eleven in there. <laughs> yeah, definitely. So Heard and Cage take a bar, a member of the bar staff each to their hotel rooms. Heard makes the busboy paint her nails whilst Cage is with the waitress. The culty preacher man from the flashback arrives with a small army, and they're gunning after Cage. What I didn't understand is why does Amber Heard immediately think shit's about to go down just because some dude walks past her window? Like they're at a mm. motel, there's going to be a lot of people walking by. But she sees someone walk past and she immediately knows, like, I need to get a gun or something here to try and fend off these people. That didn't make any sense. But then why am I trying to make sense of this? (laughs) (laughs) Back in the hotel room, the waitress asks Cage, why don't you fuck naked? He replies, I never disrobe before a gunfight. The cult army arrive and just break into the room at that exact moment. Cage still has his cock in the waitress while he's killing the intruders. <laughs> a gun in one hand, a bottle of Jack in the other, and a waitress riding his dick. I loved it. It was so fucking funny. I mean, it's never going to win an award for choreography, but <laughs> at the same time, it, it was really fun. Um, apart from the howling and shrieking of the of the waitress that was oh, yeah. um, atop a, a of him, it was that was a bit... OTT, but I mean, again, just another really fun scene that is virgin on camp. <laughs> but that's a good thing; it fits. It fits really well. It's like when she get when they talk to her later, and she says, "It's never happened before." <laughs> what, what, what would he? <laughs> oh yeah, it was great though. Just like this slow mo gunfight evolving around them. And like, when he gets tasered while he's still inside her, and she's there getting. Obviously, getting secondhand tasered by it. It was just, <laughs> it was mom and dad's levels of madness. I thought it was mm-hmm. great. Yeah. Really fun. We now get the exposition dump, though. So, Cage's daughter was the girl who was murdered in the flashback. So, the guy who was with her would have been her uh, fiance or husband. She had joined a cult, and Cage is back to get vengeance and save his granddaughter. Fickner is here to stop Cage and take him back to hell. The cult are sacrificing the baby because full moon, apparently. Cajun Hurd catch up with the cult. The, pre- the preacher shoots Cage, Cage in the face. The cult kidnap Hurd and leave Cage for dead. However, before the cult can bury Cage, he comes back to life and fully fucks them all up. He jumps in his dodge and chases down the cult to get Hurd back. Hurd fights free and manages to jump out of the cult's RV onto the hood of Cage's car. I, I remember when we did Gone in 60 Seconds a couple of weeks back, like it had basically one shitty car chase scene and that, mm-hmm. that was pretty much it. This is what that film lacked, was this sort of high octane, off the wall madness. If this film had been in Gone in 60, or if this 
scene that had been gone in 60 seconds. I think that could have been a lot better film. So I loved it in this because this is what a film called Drive Angry should be about. Mm. It's somebody driving angry, doing mad shit. Yeah, it, it is what it says on the tin sort of thing, you know. The bridge scene as well. If we got to that, yeah, or we, I can't remember. Um, the scene with the accountant on the bridge where they've got car to car next to each other. Yeah. That again, that yeah, was superb as well. Really well done. Really enjoyed that. The only thing I didn't like about that bit is we're supposed to know what the god killer gun is and like like it's a thing that everyone knows, but it didn't make any sense. Like it just came out of nowhere. But you know, again, like I said before, you don't really need to try and make sense of this film in any respects. So Cage and Herd head to Stillwater Marsh to get the baby back. Cage goes to scope out the bad guys. When he returns, Fickner has taken Herd hostage. They have a Mexican standoff. They explain that the cult have figured out how to bring hell to Earth. Fickner tells Cage, you have to do this on your own now. Stop them or don't. You're coming back to hell either way. Just as the preacher cult leader is about to kill the baby, a flaming Camaro comes flying in from out of absolutely nowhere. Cage battles the cult from his car before coming face to face with the preacher. Just when the preacher has Cage beaten, though, he's about to murder the baby. And the preacher tells Cage, I want you to know what happened to your daughter will pale in comparison to what will before this child. Cage tells the preacher, man, I'm going to kill you. Preacher says, nothing on this earth can kill me. And Cage pulls out the God Killer, shooting this man out of existence. Cage dies, but not before leaving the kid with her to look after. Then we get this scene between Cage and Fickner, where he's about to take him back to hell to celebrate. Cage drinks a beer out of the skull of one of the dead cult members. They get into uh, a fancy old school car and drive back to hell together. <laughs> the song that they played as they were driving over the bridge into hell was the most ridiculous thing. Originally, in my notes, I wrote, this sounds like the worst meatloaf cover song yeah. I've ever <laughs> That's heard. I thought, yeah. And then when I looked, it is actually fucking meatloaf. It's a song called Alive. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, I, I didn't know this. I'm not really a meatloaf fan. But, yeah, when I looked into it, the lyrics, I'm still alive, must have been a miracle. It's been a hell of a ride, destination still unknown. If you make one wrong move with the gun to your head, you better walk the line or you'll be left for dead. Like, I know you've seen Basketball, Stu. Um, in Basketball, there's a scene where the uh, one of the characters is driving after having an argument with his girlfriend. And the lyrics to the song are, you're driving down the road, you've had an argument with your girlfriend. <laughs> Watch out for that car as it pulls out on you. And this is exactly what it was doing. It was fucking ridiculous. Yeah, but this was it like was completely a, fitting for the film. It was like a vegetarian meatloaf, though, wasn't it? it like it was just a really bad image, like a WV one fest or whatever it's called, <laughs> like version of of meatloaf. It was awful. Yeah, I, mean, I know. We've, I've kind of skipped over quite a big chunk of that film and just plowed through it, but I don't think there's actually that much meat to the movie. Um, but we'll get into that when we do the good, bad, and crazy. I think because there is a bit more to discuss. But the box office and budget. Now, I don't know what's more shocking, the budget or the box office on this. So the budget is an estimated $50 million. Seems a bit low. Yeah, to say a bit sparse, I thought. The box office return was $41 million. I'm sorry, 
yeah, million dollars. Um, I, I don't know. I like. I can't see this being that big a film to get people in. And I don't know where that money was spent. To be perfectly honest, it's probably all gone to Cage, if anything. Hmm. I mean, I. Now, I've got to be careful what I say here because, in retrospect, listening back to the podcast, I think I've been slightly critical of our uh, American friends as of late. When, like, in in the last question, cast talking about how like they don't appreciate rubbish. I think it was the word <laughs> compared to the Japanese and how like the. Th- so I don't. I mean this in the nicest way possible, especially as a third of our audience are from the great United States of America, according to Anchor. Um, <laughs> but. I'd have thought that rootin' tootin' Americans would have fucking lapped this up in their droves. I would have thought, like, everybody in the Deep South Bible Belt part of America would have rushed to see this. Maybe the problem was the 3D. Mm. Mm. And promoting it so much as you have to see this in 3D. I mean, even even with 3D in the name of the film, for God's sake. So that's the only thing, because... I was sitting when I was watching it. I couldn't believe how much of a supernatural ripoff it was. Mm. But obviously, well, supernatural was two thousand and seven, I think, um, two thousand ish, round about there. And even how like the music throughout the whole film was supernatural. How thing, how like even certain scenes ended was like supernatural. It was just. It was just obviously heavily inspired by you. And that would have been around about season five-ish when it was the height of its popularity the first time around. So uh, the 3D is the only thing I could think why it didn't hit. Could be. I mean, this film was released on the 24th of February 2011. In the box office top 10 in the United States on that weekend, this was ninth. And this was a new movie that was out that weekend, and it was ninth. So there were other films that were above it that had been out for a few weeks. The big, the number one film that weekend was Hall Pass, which is fucking atrocious. Mm. And that was number one, and this was number nine. Like, oh, genuinely quite incredible, that is. Obviously, this film didn't get any Oscar nominations. <laughs> it did, however, get a few Razzie nominations. Oh. Now, I'm not a big fan of the Razzies, generally speaking, but I did chuckle at some of these. So it was teamed up with two films which we've got coming up, um, Season of the Witch and Trespass. Uh, We're doing Trespass in a couple of weeks' time. Um, So Cage was nominated for Worst Actor in 2011 rather than for one specific film, but for all three. Nice. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. He was also up for Worst Screen Couple, with anyone sharing a screen with Nick Cage at any time during his three movies. And like, so the other films that were up for the worst film that year was Bucky Larson, Born to be a Star, New Year's Eve, Transformers Dark of the Moon. Who dare they? Twilight Breaking Dawn Part 1 and Jack and Jill. Now, like, I'm not saying any of those films are good movies, but are they really the worst films of the year? Like, at least they're competently made. I feel like Twilight's just an easy target. Mm. This is why I don't like the Razzies, because us three could pay them $40 and nominate anything we wanted. You don't have to have seen the movies to have nominated them. And I know they're kind of a joke, but 
I just feel it's really cheap way to insult people who've tried hard. And like, there's no way Nick Cage is the worst actor in 2011 based on this movie. Season of the Witch is shocking and Trespass. I just find they're really cheap, the Razzies. I, I'm not a fan at all. Uh, 2011 box office was made up pretty much purely of sequels, to be honest. Guess how many of the top ten were original movies? Three. Two. Zero. (laughs) (laughs) So it was The Deathly Hallows, Transformers Dark of the Moon, Twilight Breaking Dawn, Hangover 2, Pirates of the Caribbean on Stranger Tides, Fast Five, Cars 2, Thor... Rise of Planet of the Apes and Captain America the First Avenger. All of those films are either sequels or part of a wider franchise. Mm. Seen all of them and all. Amazed. Yeah. Oh, I don't know if I've seen um Pirates of the Caribbean. I, I finished after the second one because they're shit. Um so before I give you the scores, I'd like you to have a guess. Out of ten or out of a hundred, what do you think IMDB and Rotten Tomatoes critical and audience scores will be? Stu, do you want to go first? I guess all audiences. That's a thing, though, because everyone who's. It seems like people who've seen it kind of appreciate how stupid it is and kind of get it. Mm. So, but then. I mean, I'll say six, six and a half for audience, critics about four. Okay, Matt? Literally bang on. I was going to say 60, 60 audience, 40 critic. And then Amazon will be five out of five because it's just, <laughs> it's not a barometer of like. <laughs> it's the worst, isn't it? So uh, IMDb gave it a 5.4. Uh, the Rotten Tomatoes critical score was 47%, which I thought was quite high, actually. So 50-50 almost. And the audience score on Rotten Tomatoes was 37%. I didn't expect the audience score to be less than the critical score. Mm, that is strange. Mm. Obviously, the critical response, as you can imagine, is split between okay and poor. There's nothing overly negative, nothing overly positive, just middling, really. Uh, Nick Shager from Lessons of Darkness, a rather straightforward supernatural heroism tale, straining oh so very hard to be indecent. Uh, Richard Roper from richardroper.com, so awful, it's almost great, but no, it's just awful. Uh, Amy Nicholson, who is from Box Office Magazine, who's one of my favourite critics, actually. She said that Cage passes the torch for next generation of scene-chewing actors as he graciously out-caged by both Burke, who plays the preacher, and a shark-eyed William Fickner as the accountant. And Elizabeth Veltzman, uh, Drive Angry is pure grindhouse, so committed to its own junkiness that it is, in its way, a pleasure to behold. The fan response on Amazon.com, this film has a 4.4 out of 5. Of course it does. <laughs> after 168 reviews, with 83% being 4 or 5 stars. Um, someone called Stu said, great non-stop action, excellent movie, despite Nick Cage. <laughs> uh, B said, it's Cage in his prime. Uh, Writer's Block said, Nick Cage at his best. Good action, good story. It isn't complicated. It just does a really great job of being what it's meant to be, entertaining. A good few great but cheesy one-liners. 
So on to the good, bad and crazy. Matt, start us off. So the good for me, um, it was guilt-free, silly pleasure, this. And that's mm. that's all you can ask for. Now, it didn't even, when Amber Heard killed the police officers, she didn't bat an eyelid at the fact that she killed, killed police officers. There wasn't any question of the morality of it. Or I'm so used to watching films that explore the, like, what it's like to take a life and how people feel and how awful it is. Mm. None of it in this. She doesn't bat an eyelid and it, it's, it's just guilt-free popcorn viewing. And it's hard to find a balance in doing that. Um, but it does, it actually does it really well. Like I do find it hard to check out a film and, and, and just enjoy it for its silliness, but I could with this, um, which came as a surprise because I wasn't expected to be able to. Mm. The bad, however, is the fact that it's 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 two films not done well merged into one. It's not quite Constantine, and it's not quite Mad Max Fury Road. It's neither. It's not mm. a good version of either. I like the supernatural stuff, but it's not done enough. I like the Deep South craziness and the car chases and everything else, and it's not quite done well enough. Then when you mix the two together it's just not done fantastically well. It's a shame that he couldn't explore what one one thing more or another thing more. Mm-hmm. Um, the crazy for me is, never mind Nick Cage's wig watch, there was a guy in the church who had a proper <laughs> Buffon bird's nest haircut, and that couldn't have been real, and there's no reason to stick it on his head. I can't think of a <laughs> single reason why he has that wig on. It adds, like, it, they don't make a joke with it, they don't do nothing with it, but it looks utterly ridiculous. I just don't, I don't know why they've done it. Yeah, I think that's fair. My good was like, I like the fact that Cage and Heard never got it on. Mm-hmm. Like, I know yeah. she was supposed to be a surrogate for his daughter, but these kind of films could they quite easily devolve into your male lead and your female lead get sexy. And even the one woman who he did bang. Like she was age appropriate for Nick Cage. Mm. I, I thought that was quite good, and you don't see that a lot, especially in B movies. So I thought that should be applauded. The bad for me, to be brutally honest, it's probably about twenty-five to thirty minutes too long. I think it could have been a proper cult smash hit if it had been sub ninety minutes. I felt the stuff with Fitner was mostly pointless. They could have brought him in right at the very end, just as the accountant who's collecting souls back in. So all of that and all of the stuff with the cops and all of this side crap that was going on had no real impact on the main story, which was just a man chasing a cult leader to get a baby back. Everything else just happened around him and didn't have anything on it. So for me, that that was the issue was I think a good editor could have cut a lot of shit out of this film. And it could have been a cult hit. That, and that's what this film almost deserves to be. But it isn't quite there because of that. Uh, the crazy John Milton. So the character's name. That obviously it shares the same name as the guy who wrote Paradise Lost. Which is the story of the fall of man. The temptation of Adam and Eve. Um, but like that doesn't bear any resemblance at all to this film. <laughs> It was almost like they just know, oh, there's that story about Satan written by John Milton, so we'll use his name. 
Like the plebs don't know any different. Just stick it in; it's fine. I, I, I didn't see the point in giving him that moniker and then not at least alluding to this other story. But that was for me. Stu, what about yourself? The good was that it was as good as I remembered it being, and I wasn't disappointed. And it was. I said it before with things like this, things that are so stupid or so I enjoy so much in the moment. I almost don't want to go back and watch them or play them again just Mm. because I don't want that memory tainted. And if anything, it's kind of enhanced how much I love this film because of how stupid it is. And it fully wears it on its sleeve from start to finish. It doesn't try and it doesn't pretend to be anything it's not, which is more than can be said for a lot of films we've talked about the last eight months or so. But yeah, so I was thoroughly impressed. I mean, the bad, it's very similar to what you said, only about how it just needed to be tighter mm. because there was, there was too, ma- too many threads because, I mean, the, the, I was going to say the crazy kind of links in with how stupid the cops are, which is kind of goes along with the whole redneck town and, that kind of thing, you know, like we hear this where the chief turning up in a jumper at a crime scene. <laughs> just been, no, no, <laughs> expl- that, yeah. not explained. He just, oh, well, what? And the um, thinking that he's just a member of the public. Who do you not know who this is? <laughs> Why would you? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it's, it's funny, so it, does, it doesn't really matter. But then you have the stuff with um, the accountant driving that the uh, nitroglycerin truck into the police cars. Mm. But I thought, are they going to freeze it or like Terminator 2 or something? And nothing, it's not explained. It's just mm. a big truck that he used to ram with a, with a ridiculous soundtrack in it. Um, yeah, it seems like there was the other things were cut for time purposes. But then it could have been 10 minutes shorter than it was for me. Mm. Um, but that's really picking at it because I really did love it. So, yeah. Um, yeah, I'm gonna just link the crazy in with the bad because I mean the crazy was the fact that how much it reminded me of Supernatural, which I don't think if you haven't seen that, well, you wouldn't automatically think of that show with this film. But mm. even the accountant was like the characters that had played Death in the show, so it could have quite easily been Sam and Dean Adventures of on the big screen easily. Mm. Okay, we should have we should have seen the devil at the end. Welcoming him into the fold. Well, we might get that because there is going to be a Drive Angry 2. <gasps> and Nick Cage and Amber Heard have both said that they will be coming back. And they said that recently, like within, I think it was February this year, um, was the article I read. So who knows that there may be more madness to come. I'm quite looking forward to that if they ever get around to it. I think it should be good fun. So did you enjoy the film? Um, I, I did, like, unquestionably. Um, as I said, it was probably a little bit too long, but it was, you know, I've, we've seen a lot worse movies than this that didn't have anywhere near as much fun watching them. So, yeah, it's a thumbs up from me. Stu? Absolutely loved it. And I did watch it in 3D again because that's who I am. Um, and I'm kind of glad I did because I... I it wasn't as out of the screen nonsense as I thought it would be. There was a few things like the coin flip in the air and stuff like mm. that that was blatantly obvious. But and the um, this is the, the very start where he's um, 
with the the car being blown up and the doors coming at you. But yeah, thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed it, and I'll watch it again quite soon. Would you recommend it to people as well? Oh yeah, mm. if if you w- want something ridiculous to watch that you can just put on for and just have a laugh at with a bit of well, with actually really good action scenes and mm. good good car chases as well, put this on. It's funny. Yeah. Yeah, that's fair. Matt, what about yourself? I'm not quite as rave reviewing it as you two are. Um, I fell asleep during it, put it that way. I actually physically (laughs) fell asleep. Now, I don't know if that's more the returning to work after having a busy work schedule than the film. But after the initial church, um, basically when we think Nick Cage is dead and they shoot him in the eye, the film got boring pretty quick for me. Mm. Um, and it wasn't until the end that it really like ramped up again. And the bloke started talking in proper Bray Wyatt dialect at this point. <laughs> um, I, I did enjoy it. And, I, and it's a yes, it's a tick in the yes column, but it's, it was close. Like it wasn't, it didn't floor me, but it was a fun popcorn thrill ride that, you know, I don't regret watching. So yeah, I did enjoy it. Mm, okay, that's fair. So, Matt, what did you think of Cage in this film? Was he good or was he bad for you? Well, it's hard. It's really hard because no one's expected Othello from him. Mm. <laughs> and actually, for what he was meant to provide for that role, much like his Willy, Willy's Wonderland performance, he's done exactly what's been asked of him. And so for that reason, yes, he is a good actor based on this film because for the brief of what he's expected to do for that role, he, he does it. Mm. It's just no one He's never going to be, he's never going to be asked to perform at the globe on the back of this. <laughs> do you know what I mean? But, but for, for, for the role he's been given, then yes, I think he's, he's done it well. Yeah. I've got Willie's Wonderland written in my notes because that's kind of what was evoked by the character. They're, they're both quite similar in that, obviously, the janitor doesn't talk at all. Mm-hmm. And Cage is very choosy with the words that he uses here. He's, everything's at a premium. So he does evoke that. Um, he's not great, but as you say, he does what he needs to for this film. So for me, it's a yes, just because that that's what the film requires. He doesn't go above and beyond, but we've seen films where he doesn't go above and beyond and he actually is detrimental to the movie. Yeah. And he isn't in this. So it's a yes for me as well. Stu? Yeah, I don't think, I think if he had, if he'd been like talking about the Globe, like if he'd been performing theatrically at the Globe Theatre, it would have made the, the film shit. So I think he can't, it worked. His performance worked perfectly. So mm-hmm. yeah. Like you, like you both said, he was. It did exactly what you wanted him to do, and no more, no less. So, yeah. absolutely, yes. Mm. So, I've got a little story to tell you about this film. When I saw it five years ago, or whatever it was, um, I was I was dating this woman, and she came round and she was like, "Oh, put whatever on," <laughs> and I'm like, "No, do you mean put whatever on, or do you <laughs> actually have a choice of what you want to watch?" Because if you say whatever, I'm going to put anything on and you may not like it. And I put Drive Angry on and she did not like it and I never spoke to her again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I've been I've been in this scenario. I've been like on a promise 
and uh, come back after the night out and he's like, put a film on that and, um, you know, could, could ramp it up with something sexy or something. No, put District 9 on. <laughs> <laughs> I want to watch District 9, damn it. <laughs> well, yeah. you're talking about putting films on at the end of the night. It was the um, the, f- the first night I went back to um, Annabelle's house, well, to my mum's house, was... Um, and because that was obviously when I was still living at home, so I text my mom saying back tomorrow because I knew that she'd ring me anyway. Um, and so the actual reason that I went back to her house was to watch Lord of the Rings. <laughs> <laughs> but when we got <laughs> when we got there, she actually went to put Lord of the Rings on. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's oh, funny. Jesus, I mean. I'm guessing she put Lord of the Rings on. She must have been thinking that she was in for a long night. That's why she didn't put Gone in 60 yeah. Seconds on. It was the extended editions as well. Nobody touches a dwarf. <laughs> More th- not the only thing that was extended. <laughs> Nobody touches a dwarf. <laughs> right, so finish the sentence. If you enjoyed dry out, Drive Angry, you may also like Matt. Machete. Um, basically this is machete but supernatural machete Um, it has a you know it has very much the same feel very much incredibly camp machete as well for a film that is you know um, so blood and guts and violence but it's um, machete is a fantastic film and I really really enjoy watching it but you know like the sex scenes with Lindsay Lohan it puts the porn music on it ramps the bass up and it proper camps it up and it knows how stupid it is and it plays on it and it enjoys it. So if you enjoy Drive Angry for that reason and you haven't seen Machete, stop what you're doing, watch it immediately. It's fantastic. Machete is a great call. And funnily enough, that kind of ties into mine because I've gone with Death Proof, Mm. which is obviously Mm. Machete was uh, an advertisement in the Grindhouse movie, which Death Proof was half of. (laughs) Stu's <laughs> going for his own. <laughs> well, it's a proper good Kurt Russell performance in that as well. He really hams it up as Stuntman Mike. Proper schlocky nonsense. Great movie. Stu, have you got another option or do you want to tell people why Death Proof is amazing? I mean, it, it was already mentioned in one of them reviews about how, how grindhouse this film really is. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was the overriding thing on top of that that I could think of. That it's, I mean, unless you want to put like something. Like one of the the straight to DVD Steven Seagal films on for levels of stupidity, then go ahead, go down that route. But yeah, Death Proof was what stood out to me straight away. I can't believe actually. I'm gonna have to have a look at this now. That there was no Rob Zombie in this film because he's got Rob Zombie all over it. Um, Drive Angry, that is. In terms of like Rob Zombie's always very much talking about like the American car scene. And, it, you know, obviously with the nature of the music as well, it being all about like death and Satan and everything else, it would have been perfect music for this film. And I'm surprised that it's not in it. Unless it's maybe on the uh, on like the soundtrack or something like that. Even the visuals of this movie are quite reminiscent of your Rob Zombies. Because there's my overriding memory of stuff like the crazies and, and that. It's that yellow sun that seems to be quite prevalent in mm. Rob Zombie movies. All the daytime ones, it's always a you know bright yellow sun, which I, I sort of associate with horror Americana style. And yeah, I, I do agree. I think 
I can see similarities between Rob Zombie and this. I'd like to do a deep dive on the Devil's Rejects one day, maybe in oh, the future. Yes. I don't know if I've seen Devil's Rejects. Have you seen House of a Thousand Corpses? Yeah, a long time ago. So that I think this is the sequel to it. Um, yeah, the sequel to uh, House of a Thousand Corpses. Um, right. I mean, I saw this right in the very heyday of me getting into heavy metal as a youngster. Like this was like I just bought God Hates Us All by Slayer and and Iowa by Slipknot, and then I saw this. I was like, oh, I've got to see it. This is fucking for me. This is <laughs> like just proper in the heyday of like being a young, angry teen into heavy metal, listening like, to Limp Bizkit on my CD player on the yeah. way to school. <laughs> well, your bedroom was like the set of nightmare, wasn't it? Oh man, my my bedroom. It was just Slipknot poster, Slipknot poster. Simpsons poster, then a massive poster of Jordan, as in the pinup model, Katie Price, on my wall. And then later awesome. on, when I when I could afford to buy Nuts magazine, I got replaced with Sophie Howard. <laughs> yes. In my bedroom for years. <laughs> Incredible. So that's I another had... oh sorry, carry on. I, think I don't think I had any pinups in my otherwise. <laughs> no, I know because obviously I'd it'd be non-stop wanky, wouldn't it? Couldn't be doing that. Well, that's how it can stand up on the wall. No <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. exactly. Um, but I did have a, a, a kind of a, a cut out of Martin Clune's face, blue tacked onto my <laughs> like oscillating fan for uh, five years. So I, I don't really know why. <laughs> <laughs> He's always Doc Martin is always watching. <laughs> <laughs> that's the weirdest one yet, Stu. <laughs> my, I only had. Uh, Victoria Adams, as she was, I loved Victoria Adams way back, obviously, Spice Girls days. So I had a wall just pretty much dedicated to her. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah, I was obsessed. Hmm. That surprises me, that does. Why? I don't know. I just <laughs> She's I so, just... like, cutty, cookie cutter clean or something. Like... Yeah, and just, I'm, I want to find a picture of her, like, younger, when it, when this would have been. So you're looking at like wannabe days. Yeah, jet so, black, straight hair. Yeah. I suppose there's an element of this being Andy's sci-fi robot fantasy here. <laughs> that she's completely emotionless. <laughs> <laughs> so maybe. Mm, yeah, she was the one for me way back when. <clears throat> so anyway, that's another Nick Cage movie recorded. We've got a top five coming up for debate next time. So make sure you check us out. Keep us on your podcatcher. Uh, if you've seen this film or any other film that we've ever discussed ever, or you just want to give us a recommendation on what we could watch for a future uncaged, or even when we have a break from cage, because <clears throat> we all need a break from cage occasionally, <laughs> uh, drop us an email to cagefightingpod at gmail.com or get us on the Twitter at cagefightingpod. And obviously that's also where we put out our call for questions each time. So thank you very much for giving us an hour of your time today. We really appreciate it. If you can tell a friend or a loved one or even someone you don't particularly like much, (laughs) just let them know what we do. I would be eternally grateful. So for this week, Matt, would you like to say goodbye? Take it easy, guys. Look after yourself. Matt, uh, Matt, that's twice. (laughs) Matt, would you like to say goodbye again? I don't know what the fuck's wrong with me today. (laughs) Stu, would you like to say goodbye? Even in hell, there's compassion. Goodbye. (laughs) And it's goodbye from me. And remember, we was fucking... He killed them whilst we were fucking...
<laughs> See you later.